Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, all the way from New York, we have Isaac Chang, who is our guest today. And he has a background working in Intel Corp. And he went to Dubai in 2000 and later co-founded a tech startup in Dubai, sold the equity in the business and came back to the United States in 2007, where he was able to use those proceeds to start his real estate journey. And he was able to retire in 2019. And currently, what came out of the retirement, he pivoted to other asset classes and is now focusing on strip malls, industrial warehouses, offices, and mixed-use properties. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you, Isaac, and learn a little bit more about your journey in real estate. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Ali. So Isaac, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Sure. Well, I came to the country a long time ago, in 1984, but my dad in Taiwan was always into real estate. And so I learned from him. Then when we came to the States, my father came here only once a year. And in the beginning, my mother was working in the restaurants. But then in that year, 1994, my dad sold everything in Taiwan and then bought two uh, trips here in New York City. And I always wondered why, because why did he all of a sudden make the sun move? It was because Taiwan dollar, it was $1, usually $1 to 42. And in that year, it was $1 to 22. So he sold everything and bought triplex and instructed my mom to stay using the second and third floor to pay for the mortgage. And I, ever since, I was very curious about real estate. So as a child, when you see your dad doing that, how did that open up your eyes to what you wanted to do later in life and how you thought about money and finances? Well, actually, in the beginning, I was very much in in tech. I was into uh, semiconductor sales. I didn't want to deal with uh, real estate, but uh, my mother was not good in English. So I had to always go into the court to evict non-paying tenants. And in New York City, as you know, it's very tough for landlord to evict uh, non-paying tenants. And I hated it. But then I had a hard time with my job. I was laid off. And then I had no choice but to manage the family you know, building. Then I thought, you know, why don't I start venturing outside of New York? I took this course and I started from seven units in Texas, from seven to 23, 46, 58, and then 80. So I kind of traded up. And uh, appreciation and all the tax breaks was great. So, yeah, that was my path. So when you went into Texas and you decided to expand the market a little bit more, what kind of hesitations did you have when you went to a new market? And I think when we were talking a little bit earlier also, you had purchased everything on your own and with maybe one other partner throughout your real estate journey so far. How has that come about? And you know, what are some of the things that you learned along the way? That's a good question. My first market, I was data driven. So I looked 
analyzed, and I saw this market in Midland, Texas. I always remember it was right next to the oil field, fossil fuel. It had 2.2% unemployment rate, and average salary was so high. So I flew down there, and then I still remember I stayed in the hotel for eight days and just talking to the people working at the oil field, and then also the people at the motor at the motel. You know, just wondering what is this market going to continue? What is the, the opportunity? So then I bought the seven unit. However, I bought the property when a barrel of oil was one forty seven, and then after a year it tanked to thirty seven dollars, and the half of the population left the town. Oh wow! And, yeah, and besides that, of uh, going to Midland, Texas. It was such a hassle because I got to fly to Houston and then take this small, tiny airplane into Midland. And that was hell, too. So I hold on to the property for two years and then I had to sell it and I sold it at a loss. I made money in the beginning, but I lost money in the end. So it was kind of rough, wash, but it was such a good lesson of, you know, I wrote here my five parameters to select market is. One, it's got to be MSA population 200K plus. So that want to sell, you know, you have a market and also a good job prospects. And third is multi-industry. So in that market, Midland, it was single industry, you see. Mm -hmm. So, and then investor friendly, obviously, you know, I try to go to red state instead of blue state because of the what I learned early in life. And also lastly, it's direct flight from either JFK or La Guardia, because I experienced that for the property, I had to travel seven hours and that wasn't working out. So for that seven unit that you said that you sold for a loss, at what point in time did you decide that this was enough? I'm going to just sell it and move on. Well, the population disappeared, right? To 50%. Now we're still holding on. Seven unit, there's only three units that was occupied. You know, the management company was also mediocre at best. And one day the management company said, Isaac, we have a buyer who would buy it at so-and-so price. It was a $100,000 loss. And I thought, man, the property is, you know, it's only 300000 and I have to take $100,000 loss. But then it was so painful that I said, hey, you know, I'd rather take the loss and then I'll take the money and go into somewhere else. That's where my second deal was in Ohio. In Ohio, it was uh, you know, a third-tier market in Cincinnati, but it had diverse industries and the price was still cheap. So that's where I went for the second deal, which is 23 units. So when you took that loss of the $100,000, were you able to absorb that? Is it because of what you had sold your shares in your startup company for and you're able to accommodate that? Or was that before or after from the timing perspective? Well, in the first two years, I earned $100,000. The market was that good mm -hmm. you know, for a two-bedroom. You know, When the oil boomed, people were living in hotels. And so there was a huge uh, wait list for my apartment, my little seven unit. So for two years, I was able to enjoy the profit. And then, you know, just went all went back. That's all. Oh, got it. So what made you decide to look for a second property instead of saying, 
oh, being scared of real estate and just stopping right then and there and not looking at and pursuing any more real estate. But instead, you went on and purchased your next 23 units. Well, I want to thank my mentor, uh, Chris Urso. He advised me actually uh, before investing that don't go into that market. It's a single industry market, but I did not listen. And also, uh, he told me that you got to go big. The only way to succeed and to be financially free is go bigger. By about going bigger, you get better quality tenants, you get better property with uh, good amenities, and you get a better management company. Okay. So I never believed that. Then until today, now I believe because you know I own a seven unit and also I own 80 units and the work is virtually the same. We have the knowledge. I'm ready to go even bigger if the price, you know, now price is a little expensive, but when the price is good, you know, I like to you know, do a 1031 and trade to a bigger property. So how have you been able to, over time, build up your portfolio to 200 units? And how are you able to find these deals to be able to close on them? Well, in Cincinnati, I met a guy, Jesse. He was a police officer. And when I bought my third property, the 48 units, it's one of those property is, you know, a lot of drugs and people who has some mental issues and seven units down to the studs. It was hell, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing. I said, Jesse, I met him through Chris, my mentor. And, you know, Jesse was graciously enough to say, hey, Isaac, I'll park my police car in your parking lot. And he did me a favor. And then when the cop car is there and all of a sudden people is quiet, they're all wondering, where is the cop? One day, Jesse called me and said he's running for the commissioner of the town. And I said, hey, uh, Jesse, I'll write you a check. You know, I appreciate it. And I didn't know he was elected. And then he got elected. And then, you know, he became the chairman of the real estate board also. And then he was able to introduce me to some friends. And, uh, you know, I got some one deal out of that. Yeah. So that was my fourth deal, the 36-unit deal in Kentucky. Cincinnati, across the river, is northern Kentucky. So I started buying northern Kentucky because of the Amazon Prime Air Hub. It's incredible. A lot of people talk, especially in the multifamily space, when you're looking at different units and I guess real estate in general, but it's all about the relationships and who knows where one relationship will lead you to something down the road. You never know what's going to happen, who's connected to what, what deals might happen just through a simple relationship that you've built you know, a little while ago. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I never thought I'll be able to make friends uh, that has, you know, I live in New York and, uh, you know, first time I go to Kentucky, I don't know anybody. And here's the guys that uh, we become very good friends even till now. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. 
Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So with your tech background, and now you have your criteria for the different markets that you're looking to get into, out of all the different markets inside the United States, how do you hone in on the specific ones that you want to target? How do you narrow it down from the entire like database? Well, I really like watching news and I follow both business and politics. So I kind of follow the you know government policies and all that. So, for example, uh, a while ago, Intel's competitor, TSMC, is investing in Columbus, Ohio. So I was checking Ohio, see possibly buy properties there and like that and so on. So I know that in South Carolina, it's a right to work state. And also the back in 2007, my mentor started to invest in uh, Southeast. So I always wanted to get into that market. Then I found an opportunity. It was, I think, half an hour from downtown Charleston. Volvo is there. Mercedes-Benz, they build their vans there. Uh, Boeing was there. So a lot of tech things going on. Also, I found out that they started to build in, in the lab. They start building electric vehicles. I thought that this is a great market. What I did was, as I said before, I started from seven unit and then trading up. But before that seven unit, I also bought a duplex in New York City. I used it as a student housing. I also ran a student housing business. So I practiced my craft in multifamily while I run student housing business. Then when I was ready, I did the 1031 exchange and sold the duplex and bought the 80 unit in South Carolina. And yeah, it was just that me and my wife alone. So that was a very good timing. Yeah. So also I found out that today, recently, that there is a Chinese company called the Geely. They bought Volvo. Okay. They bought Volvo and Geely in China. They're able to produce an electric vehicle for $10,000. So I'm thinking maybe in the future, you know, if with Volvo's quality and their technology, you know, if they do come in, this would be a great market. So I intend to hold it to the property. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Look it up. And so... I-L-E-E, I think. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So you also mentioned that it's you and your wife who do this together. How is that conversation about and, you know, working together with your wife and is she involved in other aspects of real estate as well? Or is it primarily you and then she's supporting? How does that relationship look like between you and your wife? Me and my wife, we've always been a team. Back when I had an IT company in Dubai, she was my partner. She was doing more of the warehouse management, logistics side, and I was in the sales. But this time around, because he is a real estate agent in Manhattan. She's Japanese. So what she does is she handles the expats from Japan and then put them in a temporary apartment and then help their family to settle down. And then uh, maybe in the long run, they will buy apartments here in Manhattan. So she is not so much into the multifamily because it's just such a different business. But in big decisions, she is with me. And also working with a bank, it's always helpful to have somebody, you know, that's also in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're working with husband and wife, everybody kind of has their own roles and you kind of need both 
parties to be supportive and having their own whatever capacity it is in whether it's like watching the kids or you know working on the side of the business everybody kind of does their own thing but together it's very strong when you have both parties both spouses on the same page at least right i always ask her for advice whether you know what should we do in the day-to-day management decisions or finance should we uh, pull the money out should we refi you know oh, by the way recently i just uh looking into a second lean refi and it was 6.5%. And I went to her, I said, oh, 6.5, you know, I mean, that's kind of high. Yeah. She says, you know, it's not too bad because uh, in the history of uh, mortgage, you know, 6.5 is still reasonable. I mean, I guess the market dynamic has changed. You know, you got to change with, you know, roll with the situation. So with the market change now and with the current environment, your focus is now shifted a little bit and you've expanded into more of the commercial side of things. Can you share a little bit more about what you're doing now and what your current focus is on? Sure. Actually, I retired back in 2019. Just our you know, passive income had exceeded our expenses by vote. So then I took a trip to Hawaii with my buddy. And then I stayed there on the beach for eight days. And I thought, wow, this is kind of not what it tell it to be. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it was also during COVID, right? A lot of restrictions, even in Hawaii. So I came back and I thought, you know, I made the best friends in real estate. And also, you know, multifamily was getting rid of thin margins. So I thought, well, why not look into, uh, you know, a real estate retail malls and uh, other cl- asset class. So I was looking for a mentor, and then I found another mentor. His name is Ash Ash Patel, and then he was just very instrumental and taught us. See, the thing is, in every industry, in every class, there is the detail, right? There is the how do you make a profit. For example, in retail center, Amazon still can't replace the haircut, right? You still need the fast food. You still need supermarket. You still nail salon, etc. you know, Dunkin' Donuts. So there are still a lot of ways to have a great retail center. And so is offices. You know, people are not coming to office, but there are satellite offices in maybe not the downtown, but the suburban area. So these things, you know, you go for the niche market. And I learned from my mentor how to analyze deals. And believe me, the commercial real estate, the non-multifamily commercial real estate is really different from multifamily, just the mentality, because people don't need to live in your complex. They could go anywhere else. But, and also in business, there is, you know, how do you find the right anchor store? Are they complementary to each other? You know, what is the traffic count, etc. So there's a lot of details. So I learned that. And now, you know, we co-invested, invested in a warehouse and I put in a couple of offers for retail centers, still working on them you know, just uh, still in the works. So does your criteria for choosing markets that you applied for, applied to in uh, multifamily, does that criteria still apply to when you're looking for the warehouses, industrial retail side of real estate? That's a good question. I think mostly yes, but I think just the MSA doesn't have to be 200. It could be a local mom and pop, you know, store, maybe even a town with 50,000 people, you know, you don't, because the local stores, they're just, they still will come to shop. 
Yeah, I just want to also going back to the retail center, you know, you could find a cap all day. You know, that's why I also with value add, you're going to uh, double digits. So it's other, you know, like offices and mixed use property. So that's why I went into, yeah, these asset class. Got it. So Isaac, how has real estate investing impacted your life and your family's life? Well, now I have a lot of time on my hands. So I don't have to go into the office and in workplace, it's a hit or miss. If you have a great boss, your life is wonderful. But if you have a boss that's not so great, then it's miserable, right? And also I can work on my own hours. Yes, I call my own shots, but, uh, you know, in the end of the day, if you know what you're doing, you know, it's a good life. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? This is a little bit different because a lot of people say, oh, I started with no money in my pocket and I'm not like that. I would say, go do the grind and try to save up and have your initial C money. Okay. Like I went to Dubai and then I sold the business. I came back with uh, my first pot of gold and I used that to do the trade-up. And it's so much faster enable me to own a bigger share of the property. For me, you know, I know that it's inflationary time and it's important to own equity because, you know, not only you can increase the income, decrease expense, therefore have a higher NOI, but that cap rate compression that a lot of people are not thinking about. You just sit back and let the cap rate roll. That is very important. Yeah. So I would say, do whatever you need to do, save that first pot of gold, and then put it on real estate. So take your initial principal, invest it, continue to build up and live off the interest and continue to protect and preserve that principal and start building it up so that you're able to live on a portion of that interest and then just continually invest and compound you know, the interest and your principal. Yeah. And of course, utilizing 1031 exchange or debt refinance. In the beginning, I tried to get as much money on my hand to buy the first property. I used debt finance with my friends and family. I uh, had a line of credit from a house. I even borrowed from Citibank, from the bank, uh, loans so that I can do the capex, so that I can obtain as much equity as possible. But now the project's getting bigger, so I need partners. And uh, also partners, you know, they have different skill sets. We can leverage on each other. Yeah, so that's my method. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? In my experience, I think it's never give up because a lot of times, you know, when I was in Texas, it was lonely. It was like eight days in the oil field. And, you know, when the things doesn't go right, nobody's going to pat on your back and say, it's okay. You know, you just have to tell yourself. Also, like, uh, for example, what I told my high school friends, you know, a lot of my friends are Asian. They've never been to these places, right? Oklahoma, Ohio, Kentucky. So they make fun of me. You know, my friends say, oh, you know, why do you go to Kentucky for Kentucky Fried Chicken? It's like, I mean, what are you talking about, you know? But then when you succeed and they come to you and say, hey, Isaac, can I put my money with you and stuff like that? So never give up. Awesome. And Isaac, for our listeners out there who want to learn more about you and what you're doing in this space, where's the best place that they can go? You can look me up in Facebook or LinkedIn, Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, last name, C-H-I-A-N-G. And my email, Isaac, 
nyc3516 at yahoo.com. Awesome. Well, Isaac, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing and spending some time with us today. I really enjoyed your story and how you've been able to you know, get to where you are today in real estate and your journey so far. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ali. I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.